0: This is episode 4 of Sitting by the Fire, a podcast brought to you by the Canada School of Public Service. Today's episode is entitled Indigenous Values and Teachings, a Lesson for All in Leadership. Most of federal public servants know Michael Wernick as the former clerk of the Privy council. And yet, his 38th career in the public service includes multiple collaboration work with Indigenous elders and leaders across the country. Elder Kamanda is Anishinaabe from the Kitigan-Zibi Anishinaabe First Nation. She's also a professor at the University of Ottawa. It's impossible to give justice to both of our guests' track records in a few seconds, therefore I encourage you to read their bios on our website. You will then understand why when two individuals of such calibre sit together, anything can happen. Using what is now known as Beyond 2020 as a starting point, our guests discuss the utmost importance of values like respect and equality, the principles of the talking circle applied to leadership, the underestimated skill of leading and chairing good discussions, the spiritual meaning of humility, and the value of this grandfather teaching for leaders, the leadership of youth, and so much more. Their conversation focuses on the inclusion pillar of Beyond 2020, a very timely topic as systemic discrimination is at the forefront of many conversations these days. But before we start, I want to thank my colleague, Benoit Trottier, for facilitating this conversation. Enjoy.
1: Seeing that I'm participating in this interview on the Territory of My People, I want to begin by saying I, I greet everyone with um, an open heart and kindness in my voice and welcome welcome everyone to the territory of, of my ancestors. So I bring you greetings on behalf of my nation, on behalf of my family. And in my greetings and welcome to everyone, there's also a prayer and a prayer for good health, a prayer for safety, and that we continue to have a very positive outlook and we will get through this uh, COVID pandemic and we're all in this together. We've been, we do hear that being said quite often. We are in this together, and indeed we are. But what's important is that we we continue to have a positive outlook and knowing that uh, we we're all good, good health and safety. So, chemiczki kibijan omano nogleman. So I, I say thank you for being here today, and and thank you for having me as part of uh, this interview. Thank
2: you so much for those words of wisdom, Elder Kamanda. It's an honor for us to have you today.
3: Mr. Warnick, would you like to say a few words? No, I just want to uh, acknowledge um, also that uh, I'm uh, participating in the conversation on the other side of the river and and Algonquin traditional territory um, and uh, greet Elder Kamanda, whom I've known for many years, and thank her for starting our conversation off in the right way uh, in this uh, new technological format. Mr. Warnick, uh,
2: from the get-go, I'd like to uh, hear a little bit about the vision uh, for Beyond 2020. How did these pillars uh, more agile, more inclusive, better equipped? How were they created and what's the thought behind it?
3: I would roll back the tape a little bit. Um, the public service as an institution serving governments has been around for many, many generations. and. Every generation of leadership, people that get into positions of some responsibility, um, start to think more and more about their role as stewards of that institution. Whatever role you play, you, you want to leave uh, the team and the organization, uh, the institution that you work in, in better shape when you leave it than uh, you got it. And you want to do what you can to make sure that it's equipped and ready to take on challenges in the future. So every, every generation of public service leadership has led some sort of exercise thinking about the public service itself and how to make it better and how to, how to pass it on to the, to the future. So I've participated in a few ways of that in different roles. Um, some people will remember the Blueprint 2020 exercise led by one of my predecessors as clerk. And that was started way back in 2012 and 2013, uh, coming out of a wave of some pretty tight budget cuts that came from the DRAP exercise. And we went through a reflection about where we wanted the public service to go in the future. 2020 seemed a long way off at the time, and uh, that was taken up as a a kind of a, a brand for the exercise. And there was a work plan and efforts and engagement that went with that. By the time I was in the clerk position, we're rolling around to 27, 2017 and 2018, and 2020 is coming up very fast on the calendar. So we wanted to um, move beyond um, the 2020 deadline and had a long conversation about how to go about that. And we decided that what we needed to do was leave it uh, quite open-ended and engage public servants in shaping their vision of their own institution, their own sense of their needs and their aspirations and their values. And so we went through about two years of very intense engagement across many, many circles of conversation, more formal interest groups like the unions and various employee groups, uh, youth groups, uh, different communities of of, uh, public servants participated in all sorts of aspects. And then uh, with the help of a very capable team at Privy Council Office, we tried to distill it down to um, a fairly compact set of themes uh, around which we could organize work and effort uh, to move into the future. And we landed on beyond 2020 as a sense of, well, we know we're going beyond 2020, but we didn't wanna be overly prescriptive about, uh, about what that meant. And most of the things that public servants told us that they needed or wanted um, to be a better public service did fall uh, remarkably easily into these themes about agile and inclusive and equipped. And they lend themselves to different organizations and different uh, people around the public service developing agendas and work plans uh, to move forward. Um, It could be relevant to a small work unit, it could be relevant to a whole department, or it could be relevant to the whole public service. Elder
2: Commandant, How do you think the talking circle can inspire leaders from the public service in becoming more inclusive leaders and being better at empowering their their employees?
1: A very good question. When you're looking at um, the principles of a talking circle, and indeed the talking circle is is quite a a fundamental element of uh, First Nation, it's more than in our culture. It's part of um, our way of life. It's part of how we do our business. It's about bringing people together to find solutions or even just to be that sounding board for someone who is hurting. So just to uh, draw on the principles of the talking circle, what's really important is that it's respect. respect. And it's an opportunity to be heard. We have that responsibility to listen. Listening is very important. We have a responsibility to understand. Everyone who is in that circle, each and every one of us that's in that talking circle, we have that collective responsibility, but we also have that responsibility to ourselves, and as well as that responsibility to others. And in that circle, everyone is equal. There's no titles. That circle represents life. It also represents living. It's a, it's a collective. Our, our talking circles are, are held uh, for the purpose of... Uh, finding a solution, offering solutions, or what are, what are the best approaches to resolve a situation or to build progress. And, and not one voice determines the solution or idea or the process. The goal of a, our talking circle is to leave with a good mind, offering compassion and care. Listening is the key. Whatever the issue is, or for whatever reason why we come together in the talking circle, We must start in a good way, and we must end with that positive outlook. It's important that we show respect to one another. It's important we listen to one another. It's important that our feelings of honesty and truth are part of that talking circle. And, And what my elders have always said is that the most important of all is respect. Respect for the person that is speaking. Respect for the people that are in that circle. And we—it's an opportunity for every voice to be heard. We do not force anyone to speak. However, we certainly do provide opportunities or a time if an individual does want to speak. And we do em- employ those—the seven grandfather teachings—in in our talking circles as well. It, it's quite a, a positive um, approach, and, and we use our talking circles in various um, forums, uh, whether it's it, even in our, our political discussions. We use uh, talking circles. When I sat on as a band counselor for my community, we, we had some, some deep issues that we, we had to um, had to discuss because we're, we were leaders of our community and we had to provide for our people. So we have that responsibility to uphold to the people that we serve. Our decisions would come by way of consensus. But importantly, before you come to a consensus, you have that talking circle. And every member at that table or that circle, and we, as a matter of fact, we held our um, our meetings in a circle. Our table was a circle, and every person at that table had an opportunity to voice his or her concern, his or her expressions, his or her solution. And, and it's about, again, respecting, and it's about being equal. Mr. Warnick, what would you
2: answer public servants or leaders in particular that would come up telling you we don't have time to talk it over. We don't have time to create a circle and gather information around and create consensus.
3: Well, I I don't think you would find that's a style of leadership which is very common uh, anymore. Um, Governments in general, um, all kinds of governments, uh, have learned that they can't just come up with decisions behind closed doors and then send them out into the public with a press release and an announcement and then expect that they're going to go well. Governments have learned the art of um, engaging people that are affected by their decisions. And there's been a lot of uh, progress on um, engagement, consultation, communication, deliberative processes that build towards the decisions that are made by the people that uh, we give the power to make those decisions, uh, who are ministers or members of parliament and the people with some authority. So that style of government has been around for a long time now within um, I guess what you would call management, the idea of the sort of the big boss CEO uh, issuing edicts through, uh, through messages to employees and expecting them to simply be complied with, that's disappeared uh, by and large um, in the private sector and the public sector over the last couple of generations. The pace of government makes it very hard to find time and space to think and reflect people have to learn the, the tools and, the, and and the sort of approaches to listening but people in authority I, I, I use the word authority rather than leadership if you have some decision making power or some authority within within your organization uh, it doesn't have to be the very top but you have some authority to exercise. One of the things that you have is the ability to convene people you have the ability to call meetings to set up um, staff engagements to do, town halls ask me anything uh, sessions there are a variety of techniques for that, that That's a power which I think people underestimate uh, the use of if you you know the ability to call a meeting and have people show up and engage on a topic or a conversation and then listen and uh, and, and certainly everything that the elder commander talked about the importance of respectful listening, drawing out different voices maybe we can explore that in a little more depth. Um, but the person in, who's really leading, um, creates tone. They create style. They create organizational culture. They walk the talk on values. They create expectations that people want to be like them and emulate them. Or if they're really bad leaders, people learn from them. You know, I don't want to be like that person. I'm going to be different when I get a chance to lead. There's a lot that people can do. You have to work at it, um, and but and you have to try to find the space. Uh, And the time for that kind of listening and engagement, uh, whether that circle is physical or a Zoom call, um, I think that's part of leadership in the 21st century. One of the skills that's also underestimated is the skill of leading and chairing a discussion. Um, Somebody has to be the person who calls the meeting and usually somebody is going to guide the conversation uh, from its beginning through the middle and to the end and do some kind of wrap up. A lot of people take that for granted, and there's a lot of very mediocre meeting chairing, which wastes a lot of time of people that are there or allows the conversation to be dominated by a few uh, usual voices. The ability to chair a meeting and get uh, a decision out of it or, an, or, or, or some kind of consensus about where to go next is, is, is actually learnable and teachable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a, there's a kind of um, meeting chairing uh, skill which needs to be worked on, uh, which is relevant to our conversation today, which is to make sure that all of the voices around that table or circle are listened to. Um, there are issues about gender, there are issues about culture, there are issues about generation. Um, there is a tendency in meetings for a few people to dominate or for people to defer too much to the person with power at the table and so i think uh, it's worth working on the skills of how to conduct and chair um, a more circle like conversation
2: if i refer back to the seven grandfather teachings we've established the elder commandment that ad- applying those teachings could help public servant leaders inspire others but there's something with humility doesn't necessarily connect with a position of power people make references to humility as being a position of weakness, what would you have to say about uh, that specific teaching, particularly from a leadership standpoint?
1: Well, let me explain it this way. Uh, My grandfather, the late William Commanda, he was a chief of our our elected leader of our community for about 25 years. And then he retired uh, that role to take on his hereditary role. So whether he was that political leader or that spiritual leader, he was a very humble man. Humility. He never, ever put himself first. He always put the people first. And humility is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. We have a word in, in my language, our language, the Algonquin language, and we, ogichida. And, and it comes from the root word ode. Ode means the heart. And we use that word ogichida for a leader. So that's a proper word to give to somebody who's leading, somebody who's who's represents the people, because you give of your heart, you give of your life for the people. Your your humility, you know your strengths, and you know your weaknesses, and you are not ashamed or afraid to admit the weaknesses. We're, we're all human, and we all learn by trials and tribulations, and the teaching of humility, the seven grandfather, um, or that the understanding or, or the spiritual meaning of humility, what that means is that know that you are all equal to everyone else, including nature, no better, no less. Every one of us, we are all a sacred part of creation. That's humility, to know that, and, and we see it as in also as that there is a higher power creator we have our our mother earth and our the sun and the moon and all of that creation we are all part of that and the, and my, as my grandfather and the elders would always say the only high power the sovereign power is the creator and we as human beings we are all equal and we are part of that sacred uh, creation but to go back to humility and and how we we use that value of humility as leaders is that we never put ourselves before anyone as a matter of fact, you the people, it is the people that you serve and you always ensure that you're taking care of the people. When we walk before the people, that's not because, because of our title, because you are protecting the people. And I've seen my grandfather walk ahead of us, but that was because he had a responsibility to protect the people, those of us, we walked with him. So humility... No, it, it, it's, it's a strength. Absolutely it is. And I, and I think we're explained it in that, that philosophical or that spiritual way of the true meaning of humility, that people will come to understand that it is not a sign of weakness, but rather it is a sign of strength. Because true leaders, no matter what, whether you're a political leader, whether you're a spiritual leader, whatever type of leader you are, a true leader should always be on that foundation of humbleness, and that foundation of humility, because for indeed, that is where the strength comes from.
2: Mr. Warnick, I've heard you uh, insist time and time again on the the fact that we were all public servants. Would you like to to react based upon what uh, Elder Commanda just said?
3: I certainly uh, agree and, and thank Elder Commanda for, for everything she said. I, I would just add a few thoughts uh, on, on the topic of humility. Uh, one aspect of it is personal style. I think um, when you're in positions of authority, people are always kind of watching and observing you and they pick up signals, whether they're intended or unintended. And I think being more mindful about what you project to other people is uh, you learn is very really important. So just your, your style, your approachability, your friendliness, your civility um, makes a big difference in, in how you carry yourself. I think the other aspect to it and it's related of course to some of the other values is humility is admitting you don't know everything and you don't have all the answers and that you need to learn and other people can teach you things uh, people that often rise into positions of authority are the kind of people that have had positive feedback their whole life they were good at school they got good grades they got into jobs they got promotions and they've basically had had a you know a very a ride to the top which is mostly positive feedback and that tends to give them a bit of a surplus of self-esteem and sometimes what you have to learn along the way is despite all that success you don't know everything you're not always the smartest person in the room you don't have everything that you need to do the job and uh, be, having an open mind and an open heart to that other people can teach you things is a really important uh, part of humility. Why it becomes a strength is because it, it allows you to draw on the experiences and the wisdom of other people in the teams and in the discussions you're having. It's a, it's a form of crowdsourcing, and you end up with better decisions.
2: Mr. Warnick, in your experience in negotiating, working with, collaborating with Indigenous leaders, elders, what have you learned from them?
3: That's a big topic, and and I appreciate the question. I had uh, the good fortune of being involved in in Indigenous issues, as we tend to shorthand it, very early in my career, uh, right near the beginning, and I've been in and out of them in different roles in different departments uh, over the space of about 35 years. Uh, Two things. um, It opened my eyes to a side of Canada and a part of Canada that um, until recently, and and arguably still, far too few Canadians know about. Um, You can grow up in southern Canada in the big cities and not really have a lot of awareness of Indigenous Canada and what what our brothers and sisters in Indigenous communities are going through and and how they see things and so on. So I had an early exposure to that being such an important part of, of the fabric of our country um, and that affected how I, I thought about all kinds of issues that I worked on over the years. I think in terms of leadership, to go back to today's topic, um, I saw a lot of the political processes uh, underway, and I saw interactions between First Nations people and the Crown, uh, represent, uh, the government that I was working in. And the, the generations of political leaders that came through and got us the constitutional protections in uh, in, uh, 1982 that fought for the first wave of land claim settlements and self-government agreements, that baby boomer generation, we would call them, um, just showed not just great courage, but perseverance and resilience. And uh, when I think about uh, the sort of setbacks along the way and the the breakthroughs that turned into setbacks and so on, Um, Indigenous leaders in the political sphere, which is the group that I knew best for a long time, um, just have an incredible patience and perseverance and a resilience to keep going and to keep at it and to work hard for their communities and their people, despite the setbacks, very rarely show um, anger uh, and frustration, even though it must have been there but to kind of dust off, pick up and keep at it and uh, and keep working towards that better, better future. So um, I think I absorbed unconsciously, uh, more than consciously over the years, a real um, respect for uh, persistence and resilience and uh, just keeping at it despite some of the setbacks along the way. In
2: terms of um, foreseeing what's coming up, do you think that Indigenous leaders have something to teach us, Elder Kamanda?
1: Uh, yes, I'm sure you've heard the expression lifelong learning. That is w- one of our, um, our beliefs as well as our way of understanding the process of, of, or the stages of life. So we, we're learning from the moment that we are born till the moment that we leave this world and we gain uh, knowledge through um, experience and knowledge creates the skills and and our lived experiences are, are really important, and and definitely, uh, definitely, I have learned from those uh, elders uh, before me, from those uh, leaders before me as as well. And I ha- if I had not been given that opportunity to have that uh, lived experience, I would not be in in the position that I am in currently. Whereby now it's my turn to lend my knowledge and and my skills and my experience to to the younger generation knowledge is power it's about building building expertise it's about building experience it's about uh building teachings it's it's about empowerment but empowerment and that good that good sense whereby we have a responsibility to, to share. We have a responsibility to teach, a responsibility to teach our children or, or those, y- the younger generation. And an example I will give you is that how does a child learn how to do things? He is taught through teachings and he's also taught through hands on experience. Yes, we, we will make mistakes that we're only human. And I do appreciate Mr. Warnock um, adding to this, uh, the teaching about humility. It, it, it is so true that it, it's okay. It's okay to say we don't know how, but we learn how by asking. We learn how by seeing. We learn how to do by hands on experience. Hands on experiences. It's, it's so, so important. And, and just recently I took one of my grandchildren with me. We had a, we took a walk in the bush. My five-year-old grandson, and then for the purpose of to teach him, here's what we we do at springtime: how we make that tobacco offering to the water. So I taught him, and I gave him the tobacco, and he had to put that tobacco in in the water. Five years old, but he's learning. It's it's he's learning this, and that is how we practice learning. That is how we teach teach one another and that is so so important and it makes us stronger leaders when we learn from our elders, when we learn from those leaders that have come before us, learn those lessons and I know I've gone all around a very long way to answer the question. I, I see it as a med, as the medicine wheel. It's a process, those stages of life and in each stage of life, we gain teachings, we gain skills, we have roles and responsibilities. So when we're finally at a place now in in that, we'll say, the fourth stage of our life, which is aging, we're on that foundation of a stronger foundation of knowledge. And so therefore, the insights that have been passed on to us from our elders and from those uh, former leaders or those past leaders While their skills and their knowledge we continue to carry with us, that becomes our foundation to ensure that we're doing the right things for the people that we serve, for our children, our families, our nation, and and for society at large.
2: Mm -hmm. Multiple generations, Mr. Warnick, working well together in government can be challenging.
3: Uh, Let me break this into two pieces, if if you'll be patient with me. I want to build on Elder Commanda's comments because I think that in many ways, um, respect um, between generations has to work in both directions. I agree with everything she said about honoring of experience and and the, uh, the possibilities of, of elders and, and people with life experience imparting things that are valuable to the younger people coming along. But I think the reverse is also true, that young people bring um, energy and courage and um, are are usually the leaders of social change. Uh, We're having this conversation in June of 2020, and the, the leadership on climate change, which is making a big difference, came from a young girl in Sweden, Greta Thunberg. The leadership on gun control issues in the United States came from high school students. The leadership in the wave of protests that uh, started around racial injustice and policing is being led by young people. So sometimes what we elders have to do is get out of the way, let the young people lead, and support them in any way we can as, as they move forward. Probably the most important thing that we can do is the passing on of values and perspectives. It's not uh, specific knowledges are likely to uh, become outdated and, and move along and, and we're, we're constantly trying to learn uh, new technical knowledge, but we can impart values. There's a, there's an old Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young song that most of your listeners are too too young to remember that goes, teach your children well. And I, I think that really is um, it's the imparting of values in particular, and that is relevant to the public service. There are core values of uh, the public service and public sector institutions Uh, which move from generation to generation. And there is an ability, I think, to, uh, in working together and workplaces that go all the way from baby boomers to millennials and now the the, the iPhone generation, um, to learn from each other and show respect to each other. Yes, it's important that the young people show a little bit of respect and deference to the older people and their experience, but I think the elders have to be on their guard not to become cynical and jaded and be open and to listen and respect the contribution that the younger team members can
1: make. We have to provide uh, opportunities for the young generation. There's no doubt about that, absolutely. Because if a community does not provide an opportunity for the young generation to learn from the elders, then our cultural knowledge will come to a standstill. I'm a firm believer in inclusion and validation. Mm-hmm. People must be included. People must be validated for who they are and for what they can offer. We value our elders for their knowledge, their lived experience, experiences. We, we place them as our ex, as our experts, as our leaders, and we respect their direction, for it is their experiences and their understandings from their elders passed on down from one generation to another that enables the younger generation to learn and to gain. Our elders provide the room for others to share their voice and their understandings. So it's really important that the younger generation must be included in the sharing and in the learning. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that no matter how successful a program or an approach may be, nevertheless, you always have to provide room for enhancement, absolutely. And why not? Because I, I look at it this way. I, I say that it's important to respect expertise Without knowledge, there would be no experience, and without experiences, there would be no skills base, and without skills, there'd be no success. So if we want to have success and carry on the success that our ancestors always had, then we have that responsibility to ensure that there's opportunity for younger generation to be part of any process. Teachings are the foundation. Teachings and roles and responsibilities are basically what we say is you're going to set the rules of engagement, put it that way, because it is a collective process. It's an engagement process.
2: Mr. Warnick, as part of Beyond 2020, there's one of the pillars that insists on the necessity for inclusion. How can leaders learn on how to become more inclusive?
3: Um, I'm glad you asked the question because um, I want to talk a little bit about inclusion as a value in Canadian society. The public service is part of the country and the society that it that it serves. About one Canadian in five works for the public sector, for the federal or provincial or municipal or indigenous government. So uh, we are part of society, and we're shaped by the way that society evolves as much as we influence uh, society by what we do. And I think one of the things that makes me optimistic, and I want to leave with some optimism uh, for people that are listening is when you look back at our tracks in the snow and see where we've come from, in in only two generations that that my career represents, we've seen a huge shift in the value of inclusion uh, in Canadian society. If we look back to the public service I joined and look at the one that I left, there was an enormous change in the way we think about women and uh, the role of women in leadership. We're much, much more gender-balanced public service. There was a huge shift for uh, Canadians who are LGBTQ. There was a long time where the public service was an overtly hostile and discriminatory workplace. People were at risk of losing security clearances and getting fired. I was proud to take part in an apology to those employees uh, while I was clerk. The attitude towards mental health, um, the stigma around mental illness. We've been part of a national conversation around mental health and wellness. And of course, the conversation uh, underlying today's uh, topic, which is reconciliation between uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians, and we have made a lot of progress uh, over the last 30, 40 years on that. Obviously, on all of those topics, more to do and more work to be done, uh, but we have seen an evolution in Canada to ever-growing circles of inclusion and bringing more people into society which brings you to the public service and people that are in positions of authority and leadership, they have to do what they can to uh, make sure that those voices that are joining the public service are part of the teams they lead and that those voices are respected and listened to.
2: Elder Kamanda, would you like to add something on that specific topic?
1: I really appreciate Mr. Warnick uh, uh, speaking about uh, inclusion. Now we look at life like life is always evolving, and that's why I think it's really important that there always has to be a space provided for for an inclusion of of all peoples, regardless of color, creed, title, uh, community, or, or whatever whomever they represent. Uh, and again, I go back to what I believe in is what is called inclusion, inclusiveness, and validation. People need to be validated. People need to be included. Uh, we can't leave anyone out and when i look at uh, first nations uh, people that we ourselves in our communities we are we are evolving to as well to ensure that we're including uh, all people from all various walks of life uh, from you know i go back to the um that question earlier about um, leadership and the importance of, of our elders. And again, I appreciate uh, how we both, Mr. Warnick Mour- and I, spoke about the young generation. In, indeed, it, it is so true that there are roles and responsibilities that we have as elders and as a young generation. We have roles and responsibilities as elders to ensure that uh, we share our knowledge and our values with the young generation. And the young generation has that role and responsibility to respect that. But at the same time, I've heard my elders saying that we cannot hoard our, our knowledge. We cannot hoard our our teachings. It, they are meant to be shared, and we have to provide room for the young generation. The young generation are the learners, and, and in essence, they will be those future leaders. They will be, and, they, and we have to ensure that they are included in all those processes or those stages of life to ensure that they are being given the best um, opportunities and and the knowledge and and the wisdom that they need so they can take their rightful place as leaders. And you don't have to be um, a certain age to be a leader, nor do you have to be a particular age to be an elder. And I also do appreciate to see the change in, in not only in government, but to see the change in society, how the shaping of, of different societal norms or, or values are coming from the young people. Because they are given that opportunity, they are given space, they are given the time further voices to be heard. They're making change not only for they themselves, their generation, but they are making change for the future generation. And I really appreciate that. And we're all part of the change. We're all part of making change, and that is a responsibility that we have, regardless of what age that we fall into. From, from the elder, well, from the old to the young, we are all part of that change, and change is going to come, and we pray that it's going to be good change.
2: Thank you so much for taking the time. Elder Kamanda, Mr. Warnick, it's been a privilege to have that conversation with you today, and I think it will inspire leaders and all public servants.
1: Thank you.
3: Thank you for inviting us.
0: This podcast is a production of the Canada School of Public Service. For more information on Indigenous learning, visit our website at www.csps-efpc.gc.ca. Have an idea for a podcast? Write to us using the contact us section of the school's website. This is Annie Leblanc and on behalf of the school, thank you for listening.